Welcome back to the Pat's Pints podcast. I'm Pat, and joined as always by uh, my partner in crime, Mark Richards. What's up? Friday night and doing another virtual podcast. We're very happy tonight to have a, a return guest to the podcast and really one of my favorite guests of all time on the podcast, and that's Sean White from Little Fish. How are you doing tonight, Sean? I'm doing awesome. I'm happy to be here. Nice to, nice to hear from you guys, even though we can't be in the same room. Yeah, we're doing this kind of weird thing virtually, but that's the world we live in now. Yeah, how about you guys? Are you in the same room together? Heavens no. <laughs> okay. We're, instead of six feet apart, probably about six blocks times two apart. Okay. That would be 12 blocks, yep. but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think everything has to be divisible by six when you're breaking it down for COVID distancing. The focus of today's episode, in part, is just to learn more about Little Fish, which is a fascinating brewery, but it's also to kind of go deeper on sour beers and, and American wild ales. I thought we might start with some vocabulary, because there's a lot of terms that get thrown around, and Sean, I'm going to throw a few terms out to you, and, and you tell me what they mean, all right? So what about the term sure. sour beer? What, is it, what does it mean when I say a sour beer to you? A sour beer, would, to me, would be like, any beer with like a low pH, I mean, regardless of, uh, you know, how you get there. I, I tend to like to uh, reserve that name for beers that are like barrel-aged sours and our, our fresher beers that are soured quickly with lactobacillus. Um, I tend to call those more like quick sour or like a tart beer. I don't know, something to, to kind of try to be very upfront about the fact that it's not years-aged beer out of the barrel. Well, I think it's an important point because, you know, for the consumer and not everybody's totally educated on these things, you want the expectation of what you think you're getting to match what you're going to get, right? Absolutely. I mean, we probably talked about this last time too, but uh, transparency is just huge for me. Like whether it's uh, how someone makes a sour beer or what they mean when they say they believe in sustainability or, you know, anything really, I, I just really appreciate people being transparent about what they're doing. And there, there are some issues with that in the field of sour beer brewing. I'm a, I just always try to err on the side of telling people more stuff about the beer. Sure. More transparency is always a better thing. Now, what about the term wild ale? I, I think that one's extremely gray. You know, a wild ale, it could be a, a Britannomyces, like a wild yeast, a yeast that was originally, you know, wild or, you know, um, just kind of showed up in a winery or brewery. Um, but that could have been to a lab, isolated, propagated, sent back to a brewery. Wild ale is extremely hard to define, but I think the difference between wild ale and sour is I think it would definitely have Brett, uh, Britannomyces or like wild yeast that is non-Saccharomyces yeast. It would uh, not necessarily have to be sour. That's how I would use that. But as, as far as little fish, we don't really use the term wild ale too much. Fair enough. The connotation is that this was a beer that, you know, you used yeast from the wild to ferment. But of course, that's mm. often not the case. I mean, I yeah. asked the question a little bit because if I look, I've just looked up in the BJCP guidelines and like one of the categories is American wild ale. I'm BJCP trained, but the, the categories have changed a lot. Uh, what is a wild ale, just out of curiosity, in BJCP terms? The second sentence says, the word wild does not imply these beers are spontaneously fermented necessarily. 
Rather, it indicates that they are influenced by microbes other than traditional brewer's yeast. That's about where I'm at on the definition of that. Definitely got to have some brett. It's not, not necessarily sour. Um, and then there's another term that I, f- I find to be a pretty helpful term is wild capture. That would be something like a brewer starts with some sort of um, captured yeast. You know, they, they put out some media, whatever it is, wort, and they kind of see what comes in from the air. And it could be Saccharomyces. It could be like a wild capture Saccharomyces yeast, or it could be wild capture bacteria, mixed culture, whatever. Wild capture, I think, is really good for describing if they take that uh, culture and then they might sort of propagate that and like maybe even isolate it. It originally came from nature, but it's not a spontaneous beer, you know. You pitch it. You know what you're pitching. It's just that you, you had captured you, that. Yeah, you're pitching from the something. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. And you guys have done some of that, right? Didn't you capture uh, a Saccharomyces yeast in the wild and make some beer with it? Yeah, we did. Yeah, and it was pretty good, but I, I didn't think it was um, so good that it was something that we like had to like keep that on as like a house strain or something like that. But sure, made a pretty sure. good saison, you know? So I, I tried it. Cool I, I enjoyed it very yeah. much. We did some DNA testing to make sure that we hadn't just like accidentally um, propagated our house yeast, you know, off of a piece of equipment or something. It was, it was uh, genetically distinct from our, from our house saison yeast. So that was pretty neat. Um, that is cool. We maybe put out some like uh, open buckets or whatever of wort around the property and, I think to, to some of them, we even threw like some leaves in or whatever, <laughs> like so maybe some, some hop leaves or some oak leaves or whatever was around, you know. And then uh, we just put that wort the next day into some growlers with some airlocks on it and we just kind of saw where it went. I mean, it, it was oddly similar to a Saison, you know, it was a phenolic, um, dry, slightly fruity like pretty good like pretty good tasting beer yeah we were like we're gonna do a 10 barrel batch with this and we did it tasted good i guess that speaks to the verdant valley where your brewery is located what a good microclimate you've got there oh i mean i don't know i I think uh (laughs) you know with a a little luck you could capture that just like in a back alley in a a city or whatever (laughs) i mean how many how many growlers did you put out and did they all taste good or were a lot of them I think there were, were like maybe four uh, growlers and maybe one of them got dumped and everything else kind of got dumped together. And we sent okay. that out. We eventually we eventually sent it out to uh, Omega Yeast Labs. And I'd give them a plug because I think, think they're a great little yeast lab. I should, probably shouldn't use the term little. Um, but, yeah, um, you know, com- yeah, compared to like Y yeast or White Labs, they're small. Great, great lab. And they, you know, plated that yeast out, isolated it and found like the dominant culture and then, you know, it was a Saccharomyces yeast, but it was like a phenol producing Saccharomyces yeast. So basically something like a Belgian yeast. I was going to say all this talking about beers got me thirsty. So why don't we open a beer? I think we're going to start with statement of purpose. Nicely carbonated, but not a gusher. This is a collaboration beer, isn't it? Yeah, we did this with Branch and Bone, good friends of ours and Really just like fellow lovers of funky and sour beers. Um, I think they make some of the best stuff in, in the state as far as funky beers and sour beers. And this is kind of our crack at um, like a just a Brett beer, a Brett Saison, something that is kind of inspired by Orval, just 
clean but funky, not sour saisons that are dry hops. Yeah, I have um, to say this is absolutely one of my favorite styles. Would it be fair to say that this Brett Saison, they kind of all stem from Orval? Um, yeah, I, be- I believe it would be because even though like Orval is like technically a Trappist beer and it's darker than this, no other Trappist beer is dry hopped in bottle condition with Brett, right? That I know of. And so, I mean, it, it's it's one of those brewers beers right that we're all inspired by and we want to make something make something like that or in the same spirit as that and and there's something really wonderful about a not sour beer with uh that's dry hopped and bottle conditioned with brett like the way the the floral aromatics sort of all come together it, uh, can be really amazing and um like right now when i'm trying this beer i'm, I'm thinking it's it's got it it's got that character Oh, it's fantastic. Um, it's straw, very light color. It's kind of hazy, but not like, not, not hazy in the modern sense, but, you know, there's some translucence to it. And then, a, you know, beautiful white fluffy head on it. And then, that, you know, just that Brett nose, which is uh, always hard to describe, but beautiful, I think. I get a lot of, a lot of just a sort of general floral. I typically from like this type of Brett, I tend to get like a little bit of like red apple and definitely some leather. You know how much I love to use like local things, and so does Branch and Bone. But this is all Ohio- this is 100% Ohio. So like, yeah, I mean, I, I want to make things that are every bit as world class as as beer can be, and do it with Ohio ingredients completely sometimes. And and this beer is 100% Ohio from start to finish. Tell us a little bit about the, the grain bill. You've got some interesting grains in this one, don't you? The, the most interesting one is Kernza. Now, I don't feel like Kernza is really like a super viable brewing grain yet, but um, I really like the idea of it, and the, it seems like it has potential. So Kernza is what you would call a perennial wheatgrass, so it is... Um, doesn't have to be replanted year to year. We've got some Kernza to try out from um, from a guy at Ohio State University. I'm blanking on his name right now. He gave us some to try in beer, and um, he wants to sort of develop it and see like what its potential is for food and for for beer and stuff like that. From what we saw, um, like I think they would have to sort of um, really selectively breed Kernza to get it to actually be a viable brewing ingredient. Like it's it's mostly like a rice hull, you know, it's mostly, it's mostly all hull and there's like a tiny seed inside, but we threw it in there because we were like, let's, let's <laughs> give this a shot. Um, so yeah, let's see. It's, um, Kernza and, and um, I think it's got Emmer yes. and barley. I've heard of Emmer, but I don't really know what it is. I couldn't really describe it flavor wise, except that it's sort of like a more rustic and more ancient wheat variety. It's very much in the, in the sort of farmhouse vein, the Saison vein, to use rustic sort of land race kind of grains, I would say. You know, all Saison is really, really dry. When you start adding in grains that have like sort of more complex proteins and stuff, they can add like a sort of a, a fluffiness to the beer or sometimes it's uh, beta-glucans or whatever, or whatever it is, you know, but like things like oats, rye, spelt. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think those... They can add to like the headstand. You can have like these like amazing like like rocky heads. You can get some some real fluffiness. So even though the beer is like very lean and dry, it has sort of like a softness to the mouthfeel, and I think that's a, a really really nice thing if you can get it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That it's totally got that. I mean, it is it finishes so dry, but 
yeah, fluffy is just a good word for, for the mouthfeel, I would say. Bottled on May 7th, 2019. This is about a year in the bottle. And it's probably just, I mean, if I had enough patience, it's probably going to get better. I really like how it's tasting now. I mean, this is, it's been a while since I've had one. And I'm like really happy with it right now. We brewed this, you know, to be released for Ohio Brew Week last year. And uh, the guys from Branch and Bone came down and uh, we sabered some bottles. We're pretty into sabering bottles. I'm sure you, I'm sure you guys know uh, what that is, but for people that might not, it's where you kind of take a knife or a, a sword and you run it down the length of a bottle like a champ- like you would a champagne bottle and you kind of pop the top off with the uh, with a knife and it's um it's actually like incredibly easy to do but it's super fun very visually appealing so yeah they were down here for uh, for brew week and we were out in the yard savoring bottles and drinking and just having a good old time. Whoa! Actually, I don't think I, I've ever done that. It sounds like it would be uh, pretty impressive looking if you could do it right. Oh, definitely! You, uh, get on YouTube, check it out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, a, that's we a gotta new get one you problem. schooled, man. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a way like when the blade just hits that rim, it basically rips off the end of the bottle. Yeah, and you don't need a, a sword. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> doesn't take much. Almost, no. yeah. Yeah, so Tim, our production brewer here, he just has a little pocket knife and like you can do it with any blade as long as it's like a stiff blade with like a any edge, like doesn't even have to be really that sharp, but stiffness is important so it doesn't have flex. As it turns out, actually just last weekend I I brewed a Brett Saison. So I have I have a, like a process question. When I pitched the Saison yeast, I pitched the dregs of the two Orval bottles. And my question is about like when you add the bread. I think on this beer, if I read the description right, you added the bread like they do at Orval when you bottle condition. What would be the pros and cons of like adding the bread right away or adding it when you bottle it? Is it just kind of like a brewery management thing for you or is there a practicalities to when you might add the bread? I mean, that's a very good question. Uh, we've done it both ways. I mean, for a while we were running our house saison culture had brett mixed in with it so that meant that you know whether you had a, a fresh saison or whether you had a bottle conditioned saison it had brett whether it presented as brett or not most of the actual brett character that's presented i mean it, it needs that time in the bottle slow maturation to really sort of create those characteristic flavors that we recognize as brett I think anecdotally from what I've seen, pitching Brett earlier to me actually ends up being a bit cleaner and not presenting as much like a bottle of Orval. I don't know why. There is this theory that, you know, if the Brett can eat simpler sugars that are easier to ferment, that it doesn't produce as many of those funky flavors. But I guess I was always kind of assuming that the Saccharomyces is going to go so much faster that by the time the Brett really kicks in, it would be like the same thing as adding it at bottle conditioning. I follow that logic completely. That makes sense to me. I bet you'll get a good beer with good Brett representation, but it was just something about our beers or whatever. Like, I mean, they just, it seemed like the, like when the Brett was mixed in with the Saison yeast and incense primary, that it was just like less noticeable in the final beer. And in some ways that was good. Getting the right balance is important and maybe the right balance isn't, totally brett i mean brett saison it is to me like a like a troublesome style of beer because i mean you get much 
you get much Breton there, and I mean, where did the Cezanne go? All right. When we say mixed fermentation, I mean, that's a term that actually you might say is technically maybe the most correct way to describe a lot of these beers. Does that mean if I just had Saccharomyces and Brett, is that mixed fermentation? What, what, is, what does it mean when I say mixed fermentation? Sure. I think what most people mean is, you know, it's got Saccharomyces plus it's got sour bacteria plus it's got Brettanomyces and they're all sort of working in concert at the same time from day one. That's why I personally use the term here. Um, I don't really, I don't really consider like a beer where we like pitch lactobacillus and then we pitch Saccharomyces the next day. And if it never has Britannomyces in it, like I don't, I don't really think that's mixed firm, even if it, even if technically it is. It can be a really cool way to do saisons where you get, you know, some level of acidity, but it's sort of balanced and restrained. It may or may not ever see oak and um, there's, you know, some level of, funk i really i just really probably enjoy drinking mixed firm saisons where they're sort of like starting to get into that territory of sour beer and and the funkiness of sour beer but without um being really sour or you know they still maintain like drinkability and and a lot of like subtlety it's got that recognizable character of a saison but it's got some tartness and some funk to it i mean i think your, your sunfish is a beer very much in that vein i would say yeah, I don't even know how to describe sunfish though. <laughs> I, I've always, I've always really loved the beer, but it's changed how we've made it. And right now, it's a blend of like barrel aged sour blondes and barrel aged saisons with honey, and then it's re fermented with more honey. The last batch, you know, I think, I think uh, it really came together really well, displaying like. Some saison character, some honey beer character, some barrel aged sour character, all in a pretty good balance. Kind of wishing we had it to drink right now. Yeah, Sean, that is a beautiful beer, especially this iteration. Pat just came down uh, recently to visit you and brought some beers back up here to Columbus, some of which we're drinking tonight. We had the latest iteration of Sunfish just a couple weeks ago in a social distancing patio visit here at my house and man it's beautiful and i even said to pat this is uh this is not the beer that we drank three years ago there's a lot more to this one i think i remembered sunfish is a lot more in the saison vein without anything too wild like you know had some nice phenols and peppery notes and fruit about it but i would say yeah you're right about evolution because i even made that comment that this is a very different beer than what we had three years ago when we talked to you last on a podcast like one of my weak points as a brewer honestly is that i'm not super amazing at doing the same thing twice i don't know yeah sunfish has evolved a lot and if you're not changing you're not growing you know we want to make the best beer we can so like i can't like kind of stagnate on like ideas we had, you know, five years ago or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you say that, though, I would have to say three years ago, I was having an amazing saison as well. I don't think there's anything to be said is, you know, you're playing with nature a little bit, too, and, and some of the magic of fermentation and, and blending. So why not? 
Yeah. And I mean, for, for any brewery that's in the sour beer, their first year is, is not going to be their best year because, I mean, there's going to be this time when your beers are kind of ready enough, but the overall, like, maturity level of your sour program is not at its peak, you know? You know, definitely, like, like our beers, our barrel-aged sour beers, to be more specific, I mean, they've, they've gotten way better, you know, and it's just... It's getting the library up to a certain maturity level where like every time you release something, it's average age, 18 months in the barrels. It makes a big difference. If you're going to be that kind of brewery, it's it's a long game from the beginning, right? Like I'll never forget this day. It was just this moment. I was uh, just tasting some barrels and it was earlier on, I don't know, first, maybe the first or maybe the second year and... I got into some stuff that I wasn't that happy with and I was like starting to feel it's just kind of bummed, you know, it's just like this, this isn't what I want it to be. And I just, just remember like thinking, just stopping for a second and being like, just give me like, just give me three more years. Like, you know, just, I'm going to, I'm going to get good at this. I'm going to get better. These beers are going to taste how I want. I just need like three more years, but it was kind of funny at the time because what other area of brewing would you be like, give me three more years to get good? I mean, it doesn't work like that, you know? <laughs> On the no, side of economics, that's hard. No, I mean, I don't think – we don't release things that we're not proud of, but, you know, the the beer beers, you get better as you brew more, you know? Well, I think it's time to move on to beer number two. We were just talking about mixed fermentation. So we're going to have more than Brett going on in this beer. We're going to be opening up uh, Honey Bruin, sour brown ale with buckwheat honey. I was listening to the podcast from the last time you were on the show, Sean, and both you and Jimmy were saying, if you get the level of carbonation so that when you pop it, the carbonation just starts slowly rising up out of the bottle, then you've nailed it. Yeah. I mean, it's especially for the Saisons. I mean, I want Saisons and like lighter colored sour beers to have more carbonation in general. When you get into the darker stuff um, and the more sour stuff, you know, there, there seems like there can be a danger of, getting so much carbonation that um, some of the carbonic acid actually starts to make it a little bit harsh or like, I don't know, just a little less pleasant. This beer is beautiful beer. Uh, I mean, it's really clear. It's cherry to mahogany. Very rich uh, amber. Yeah, mahogany is a Tell good us. description. This beer is sort of a beer that happened along the way. I didn't have a clear concept of a honey brewing when, when this beer first went into barrels. Like, little fun fact about Little Fish. So we have a 10-barrel brew system. We have one single 20-barrel fermenter, and um, 20 barrels of beer of one kind at one time could be a bit much for us. And so there was a lot of times when I would try to think about what could I brew into the 20 that I could then later split off and do something um, into the sour program. Fun fact about this beer, the base is a lager. This is Carmen Fest. Clean fermented Carmen Fest that was then transferred into barrels and the barrel part was inoculated with mixed cultures. One thing that happens a lot, at least for us, 
when we do beers like that. There's not really enough like available sugar in that beer once it's already been fermented out with a clean sack yeast um, to maybe make enough acids. And so let's say it was like 18 months in, it tasted really good in the, from the barrels. It was like a sour brown, sour red, somewhere in there. Really nice flavor profile, like wine character, oak character. It just was missing a little sourness. And so I was thinking about what kind of sugar addition could I do to give that bacteria just a little bit more uh, food and hopefully drop the pH just to hair. Um, and I started looking at honeys that were like sort of more characterful honeys. Came across buckwheat honey as a possible addition. Something that was like a dark honey that had some real distinct character. That's what I chose. And it was just literally taking um, three oak barrels, um, two were red wine barrels, used red wine barrels. They, they probably had a couple turns of beer through them already. And one was a uh, used bourbon barrel. They probably had a couple turns of beer through it already. To those three barrels, we added five gallons of honey, just unpasteurized buckwheat honey, raw buckwheat honey straight to the barrel. So five gallons for three oak barrels. That probably aged like another like four months with the honey. And I really liked where it was at. You know, it's it's got a really distinct honey character, you know, much more so than using like a lighter, like clover wildflower honey, right? I, I do think the honey comes through though. Like there is a yeah. honey note. There's also this kind of hint of caramel that's almost not mm. even there. But there's almost a hint of caramel that I don't even want to describe as caramel. It's probably from both the original mash, uh, you know, does have some caramel malts in it and also just like sort of like a caramely honey, but both of those kind of being dry at that point, the caramely honey is still going to ferment out like a hundred percent and uh, Brett's going to chew through all of the residual sugars eventually from that uh, original mash. And so you can, you can end up with something with like a caramely flavor that is not sweet in any way. This is seven and a half percent alcohol. I mean, that's what it says on the bottle. Mark. Yeah, but I mean, I'll have to <laughs> I don't say know. I don't get it. You know, I don't know. You know, the alcohol is buried. I think it's got so much going for it that I don't detect a lot of alcohol in this and drinking. And I am a sucker for a Flanders Oak Bruin. Anyway, that's uh, one of my favorite styles from visiting Belgium. It's very widely available, and as an American amazing how available it is like when you're in brussels or whatever were you going for something in the vein of an ode brood yeah the name was kind of a playoff of uh of honey brown right you know honey brown <laughs> I, God, I had I forgotten about that jw dundee version <laughs> <laughs> so yeah one of the one of the label concepts earlier on was like a ripoff of like a honey brown label <laughs> that's hilarious um <laughs> I, well, like I was saying, like this beer wasn't really well conceptualized. It, it was just something that we started in barrels and like kind of it went its own way. And then I think we just kind of described what we were tasting. And that was how we came up with a name. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's an accurate description. Yeah. In the first podcast we did with you, I think we finished, I think it was the first batch of Maker of Things. You talked about how you made this beer called the Acern, or the, the old English way of saying acorn, right? Which was like to get some of the oakiness out of the new fooder, and then you made Maker of Things. Uh, and I remember at that time you also talked about how, you know, you're only going to empty it two-thirds of the way each time. And 
I kind of wonder if we could like revisit where things have come over the last, you know, three plus years of that fooder, for example, and even that beer maker of things. Yeah, we've actually stuck to that plan completely, which is uh, we never take out more than two thirds of the fooder at one time. The fooder is a 30 barrel fooder and it's dedicated strictly to maker of things and maker of things is influenced and inspired by, you know, our, our love of Flanders Red Ales. I feel like Maker is one of the beers that really defines who Little Fish is as a brewery. And uh, yeah, I, I still love it and still playing around with the recipe quite a bit. The The ABV has crept up. I know that it's um, it's at like 8.5% now. <laughs> yeah, it seems kind of crazy, but like if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. It's like to, to get a sour beer that's malty and has some sweetness... When you have Brett involved and you have like, you, you have super attenuators involved, you got to use a lot of ingredients to sort of get it to that body point that you want. And so a lot of the Flanders producers in Belgium, they'll do weird stuff like they'll pasteurize their beer, you know, they even back sweeten it. They'll, they'll back sweeten their beer. I'm not going to pasteurize and back sweeten something here. I mean, it, it's against my principles. Sure. Yeah, to do like a higher ABV, uh, sour red where it's it's carrying some sweetness because of the residual sugars and and the residual sugars are there because the beer was a big beer. That's what makes sense to me and that's the direction that Maker has sort of okay. gone in. It, you know, it hasn't crept up like that much. The original batch was like seven and a half and it's not like eight so, and a half. Yeah. Now I know Rodenbach famously uses a fair bit of corn in the recipe, or at least that's what I was told when I visited there. Like adjunct grains are part of the story there. Is that true of maker of things or no? It's not for maker because, and I, and I have heard that as well. And I don't really know why they do that that way. <laughs> it um, doesn't seem obvious to give body to the beer necessarily, right? Rodenbach is most likely a brand that is not like actively back sweetening their beer, but they're, they're definitely pasteurizing it. So they're, they're able to lock in a certain amount of sugar. Mm. Yeah. I don't know about the corn. I mean, I use corn when we do things like white lagers <laughs> right. and farmhouse malt liquors. That's right. What's, yeah. what's your malt liquor called? It's called dirt cred. You were telling so, me the other day that it, it's a pretty fun beer and you sell it I in a Magnum, it. don't you? Yeah, that was one. I mean, that beer literally started as a joke. We we're talking about doing a farmhouse malt liquor. I don't know if it was the name or like the tagline, but like it was going to be called, it was going to be like get farmhoused, you know? Um, <laughs> But at some point, we decided to like make that joke a real beer, <laughs> and I love it. I absolutely love the beer. It's got like that's a mixed firm saison to me at its best. It's packaged in um, green glass magnums, so <laughs> the hops the hops actually get light skunked, and they have that like wonderful sort of European import like light skunked he character. The, the Heineken terroir, if you want to call it that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if a 40 ounce of beer or maybe a Heineken sat out on a convenience store shelf at room temperature for like two summers <laughs> and it went sour, but it went sour in like the best way. That's a that hell of a description. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might have the market cornered on farmhouse malt <laughs> liquors, actually. Pretty sure we do, for better or for worse. <laughs> nice. Train's coming through. All aboard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How often does a train come through there? 
Uh, a few times a day. Okay. But uh, the the tracks are literally like 20 yards off, off the side of the building. Hear that long? All right, well, Pat, I think while we will let that train go ahead and pass through on Sean's end, I think we got enough material here. We should probably do a two-parter. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Sean is just a fantastic guest, and he has a lot of interesting things to say. But I would like to encourage everyone to come back in a couple of weeks for part two, where we're going to talk about some very interesting things, talk a little bit about spontaneous fermentation and, and Little Fish's foray into that wild and funky way of making beer a little bit about their cool ship sean's going to talk about a beer that he says is maybe one of his very favorite barrel-aged sours they've ever made and sean's going to share a few tips for home brewers out there who might want to try their hand at this style of beer so i think that's a wrap for today and uh, hope everyone comes back for part two yeah i'll be looking forward to trying that beer and we can let my attention span divert to something else for a while. Amen, brother. Well, cheers for now. Cheers. Cheers.